It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Well, we are no longer crossing an international border, but we are crossing a desk. We're not even crossing a desk. We're next to each other at a desk. Hi, Sam. We could build a wall. We could yeah, make that's an international true. border. Yeah. That. That's, that's, that's the way things... No, that's it. That's the way things go now these days. In this world. Um, hey, hey, hi, everybody. Welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, number 127 from MILB.com. And this is number, what would you say this is of in person pod? It's got to be like number eight. Eight? I was going to say five or six. Okay. It's probably right, though. Somewhere between five and eight. Five and eight. Yeah, yeah. that's about We'll right. go with that. It, this makes it feel like these are like our live specials. Yeah, yeah, Every exactly. podcast says like, we're coming to you from Seattle right. or something. Right. Ours is always New York. We're going to record this from the Orpheum Theater somewhere. And yeah, ours is just like, no, it's in the offices in New York. I just we happen to stop by. Next time you're here, we'll have like audience members. Yeah. We'll have like the editors come in and just like clap. And they just sit in the room staring at us. like audience questions. <laughs> Why don't you turn your stuff in on time? That's the first audience question. <laughs> You know, the Milbies are nothing to joke around with deadlines on. They're coming up very soon. That I'm, I'm starting to put together the finalists, semifinalists, all that kind Man. of stuff. So if people have, like, for, seriously, if there's somebody you think deserves a finalist spot in any of the Milby categories, let me know. Um, yeah, we're, we're obviously searching high and low throughout the minors, but, yeah, that's coming fast. If there's Specifically with games. Games are, like, yeah. tough to, like, go back and find which ones were the most memorable, most exciting, and all that kind of stuff. You could, we could easily end up with like 60 finalists for that, but we got to dwindle it down to 10. So there was your favorite game, favorite individual performance. Give us a shout. Do it. You can find him on uh, on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. You can submit them there. Um, so, hey, with that, welcome into this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. We are uh, very nearly to the end of minor league postseasons. And before we get into discussing minor league postseasons here in 2017, uh, thanks for tuning in to the show wherever you found us. If you were at MILB.com slash podcast or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or the Stitcher app or elsewhere, we appreciate you tuning in. And uh, with that... Let's get started. Uh, first, I have to apologize for my voice. I sound like a uh, like the pimple face kid from The Simpsons this week, so I'm just going to preemptively preemptively do that. I called uh, 20 baseball games over the course of nine days in the last two weeks, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, Sam, titles have already been awarded in a lot of minor leagues, including to co-champions in three different leagues due to Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Harvey. Um, mostly due to Hurricane Irma, there were leagues in the southeast, uh, but we've got champions a lot already in the minors. Uh, a member of one of those champions, Nick Gordon, the second-ranked prospect in the Minnesota Twins organization of the Chattanooga Lookouts, will join us here in just a little bit. But that is strike one. We've already got some titles in. Uh, give us some themes. Give us some of the stories from these, these early championship winners this year. Yeah. Yeah, so let's just run through exactly who, as of now, as of Wednesday, has been crowned a, a champion in the minors. Uh, we've got Chattanooga and Pensacola. They're sharing honors in the Southern League. Uh, Lynchburg and Down East sharing honors in the Carolina League. We'll circle back to that in a second. Uh, Dunedin and Palm Beach in the Florida State League. They're, they're co-champions. Uh, Vancouver in the Northwest League uh, claiming that title last night on Tuesday night. And Elizabethton, uh, the Elizabethton Twins in the Appalachian League. Uh, also the GCL Yankees East and uh, the AZL Cubs, If for those of you who are following the complex levels. Uh, a couple things that kind of obviously stand out. Uh, Dunedin, as if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette needed another reason to wrap up a very solid, impressive first uh, full season for both of them. They both get rings after joining uh, Dunedin after the All-Star break and after the Futures game. Um, so that's really cool. Down East wins a title, a co-title, in its first season of existence. Uh, so congrats to the Wood Ducks. Um, as Tyler mentioned, it, it is kind of weird in that, you know, the hurricane affected things the way they did. We're not used to giving out co-championships. Uh, I know a decent amount of people on the Internet were saying, like, why not just, like, delay the series and wait for the hurricane to pass and then, uh, you know, have a championship series? Well, 
you know, it, it kind of shows you what championships really mean in the minors. They're just kind of nice things to have at the end of the season. So um, to have co-champions, nobody's really crying foul that much. You know, the, the bigger important thing, as you'll hear Nick Gordon say later, is getting everybody safe, getting them into a position where, um, you know, they don't have to worry about the Hurricanes. Um, for some of them, that meant getting back home to Florida um, or to Texas or that kind of stuff. Um, just allowing them to kind of have a normal offseason or a start to a normal offseason instead of extending it so they can be around for 100-plus mile-an-hour wins. That Nobody wants that. Uh, but one thing just to – you know, we are going to be talking to Nick Gordon. One thing you'll hear about uh, us discuss with him is just the fact that Chattanooga was so dominant this year. Um, they went 91-49. and 49. Uh, they had a 650 winning percentage. That was 15 games better than anybody else in the Southern League, 15 games better than the Montgomery Biscuits in their own division. Um, so not only were they a good first-half team, they were also a very dominant second-half team. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to see them uh, win a co-championship um, because you know after their regular season dominance. I know we were all talking about that at the major league level with the Dodgers. It doesn't really matter much if they do all of this uh, before their losing streak. Uh, if they do all this and then they flame out in the playoffs, the lookout certainly did not do that. Um, so, yeah, so congrats to all those teams that are clinching. We still have the IL, the PCL, the Eastern League, Texas League, you know, going down the list, the two Class A leagues, Midwest League and South Atlantic League. Lots of playoffs still to come, lot, lots of champions still to be crowned, and we'll be talking more about that next week. One uh, cool storyline that um, just real quick in the Northwest League, the Vancouver Canadians won their fourth title in seven years. They've played for five of the last seven titles in the Northwest League, and this is just kind of a cool quirk of that team. Rich Miller, the manager of that team, was the interim manager in 2011 for the end of the season. They started that year with a manager who had to leave to attend to a personal matter. Um, that was back in uh, when John Snyder uh, – uh, left that team after 52 games in 2011. Miller comes in, leads that team to a title in 2011, and then uh, leaves, uh, goes into an advisory role in the Blue Jays organization, then goes back as the Canadiens manager in 2017 and wins a title wire-to-wire -wire with his team. So kind of cool uh, storyline out there in the Northwest League. Um, strike two this week, Sam. We are past the minor league uh, postseason in so many cases, and that means that we're got, we've got a whole lot of guys who have jumped up to the big league level um, as September call-ups on the first and the first several days of September and even now into the middle part of September, Willie Calhoun has made the jump up to the Texas Rangers uh, from AAA there in that system. And kind of a surprise promotion, the Washington Nationals, who have already clinched their division in the National League. Victor Robles, the outfielder, makes that jump from AA Harrisburg. Uh, what stands out to you about these two call-ups, especially Robles, kind of surprising? Yeah, Robles really did kind of come out of nowhere. Um you know, he, he ended the year at AA Harrisburg. He only played 37 games there. Uh, certainly played well this season between Harrisburg and Potomac. Finished with a 300 average, a 382 OBP, um, which is incredibly high for somebody of his skill set. Um, being only 20 years old, uh, just cresting it at AA uh, in the Eastern League. Had an 875 OPS, 27 steals, 10 homers, 37 doubles. We can go down the line. He is a 5 tool player. That's It's pretty much bang on. Um, the... the quietest tool if you could call it that is his power um, the fact that he hit 10 home runs this year you can kind of see him building to that what I really like about it is this was a move by Mike Rizzo just saying listen we're gonna go for it this year um, you know we are we want to win a title while Bryce Harper is still around everybody's talking about he might be a free agent after next year he's certainly gonna cash in if he wanted to stay in Washington uh, you know he could have signed an extension um, but I, uh, he obviously wants to be a free agent, and God bless him for that. He's going to be a very, very rich man because of it. Um, but they want to go go with it while he's there, while Max Scherzer's dominant, while Steven Strasburg's dominant. Gio Gonzalez is having the career or the season of his career, uh, and Robles is probably the best outfielder in that system right now, regardless of potential, all that kind of stuff. You know, Andrew Stevenson also came up as part of their moves. Um, but Brian Goodwin had an injury that looked like it was going to be it was going to take him a little longer to come back than they would have liked. And, you know, I, I give Mike Rizzo all the credit for just saying, listen, the kid is the best we have. He looks ready. We're going to use him now. Uh, he would have been eligible for the playoff roster regardless just because he was in the organization. You don't have to be on the team. You have to be in the organization. He was in the organization by the September first deadline anyways that wouldn't have mattered um but the idea of him being a pinch runner 
a pinch hitter, a, 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 you know, a, an extra outfielder, a defensive replacement for Jason Wirth or Howie Kendrick, obviously both uh, aging veterans. This is very exciting for Washington Nationals fans, um, for the organization. And now they get to kind of see where Robles, you know, where he is in his development. If it looks like he's not doing well, well, okay, then he definitely needs to start next year back at Harrisburg or Syracuse. Uh, if he does hit the ground running, does do extremely well, you know, maybe you talk about him, uh, you know, getting a corner spot next year. Uh, next to Adam Eaton when he's back healthy and back next to Bryce Harper and Wright. You know, does he earn that left field spot? This is his chance. And to see him actually get an, uh, an opportunity to audition in this way, uh, it's, it's pretty rare even in this, these days when aggressive assignments happen. Um, but for a guy at 20 years old, he becomes the second 1997-born player to make it after Ozzie Albies. Uh, this is very exciting. I'm very excited to see what he can do in this next month. 1997. That still does not seem like it should be possible. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, big contributors on postseason rosters for major league teams that we have seen just kind of jump into the fray in September in recent years. And uh, we'll see who among them could be that way in 2017. Um, strike three this week, Sam, is a, a really interesting topic that has started to gain a whole lot of traction as of the last couple of days. We are recording this today. September 13th, Wednesday. And as of this morning, a story from MLB.com that cites a, an initial report from Yahoo Japan that the ace and two-way star of the Nippon Ham Fighters in Nippon Professional Baseball over in Japan, Shohei Otani, is reportedly set to be posted by his team this coming winter, which would make him available for major league teams going into the 2018 season. Over five years with the Nippon Ham Fighters, Shohei Otani on the mound has put up a 2.60 ERA in 522 and a third innings, and he has over that same time hit 286, 359, 505 with 47 homers and 163 RBIs in 389 games. Our topic becomes this. Let's say everything happens he gets posted, and that's ultimately the team's decision. It's not Otani. He can't just decide, now I'm a free agent. I'm going to sign with a major league club. The Nippon Ham fighters have to be the ones to, to post Shohei Otani. But let's say they do. He is selected by a major league organization that wins his contract on the, the posting rights, the money that they will pay to the fighters, and they get to negotiate with Otani. If that happens, does he ever see the minor leagues when he comes over to the United States? Uh, the direct answer to the question is, is probably not. But he, when he signs, he's technically going to be a prospect. Um, part of this, the whole thing that complicates this and the whole thing that's very interesting about this is – uh, international spending rights or international spending pools, all that kind of stuff is, is about to change drastically. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be the same way that, uh, you know, we've kind of grown and to know and all that kind of stuff. Um, anybody who's signing cannot be signed. It's a hard cap now um, of $10 million, I think. Prior to being 25 years old Prior for guys. And Otani, that's the crazy thing about Otani. He's been in the big leagues in Japan for five years. He's only 23. So if he came over after 25, then he can sign an international free agent contract. But as of right now, he is limited to a bonus that would be, believe, between $300,000 and $10 million. I think that's the, the high end of that cap. Um, but there are 12 teams in the big leagues that cannot spend more than 300000 on him because they've already exceeded the amount that they've been allotted in the, in the international amateur bonus pools. Um, so that factors into this too. But yeah, it, that's what makes this kind of a curious decision is potentially he's limiting himself out of a ton of money by not sticking around in Japan for the next couple of years. Right. So like the interesting thing is, yeah, they can't sign him to this money up front, but like w teams could conceivably – try to give him an extension after one year which is you know going to tip the scales and i'm sure every team that's looking to sign him is, is going to try to do that obviously major league baseball is not going to allow them to say we are signing him now for one year and then for an extension he would be signed for five or six years um, under that original bonus um, but you know any team could potentially say listen we'll sign you now you know what our our uh what our budget situation is, we could give you more money, which is why teams like the Cubs, the Yankees, you know, the Dodgers, or people are going to say they're they are the uh, the front runners for Otani. But you know, given the way it's kind of even out, any team can afford to sign him for ten million dollars. Uh, they can afford that in their budgets. There are certain teams that can't go above three hundred thousand uh, because of international spending limits. But um, you know. It should be an even playing field, and this is what teams really want on the foreign market, and that's why they agreed to this. Um, players, I feel like, 
are losing something here. You're not going to get another Yohan Mankata, Luis Robert uh, type situation with guys just getting huge bonuses at the beginning. Uh, and I think that hurts players more than it hurts anybody else. Unless they're over 25. Unless they're over 25, right. But, yeah, we do, right. we do need to keep coming back to that, right. Um, so it, it's really interesting to me that Otani wants to come this early. Uh, he obviously wants the competition. He craves the competition. He wants to be kind of a legend who comes over here earlier than later. Um, maybe doesn't want to be like a Hideki Matsui becoming a legend in Japan and a good player here, but not anything near what he was over there. Um, wants to build you know, his career here as quickly as he can and uh, so on. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We're only discussing it now because it's, it's such a hot topic. Don't expect him to be in the minors, but when he signs, he's technically going to be a prospect. So where he's going to shake it up amongst the Glaber Torreses and the uh, you know Hunter Greens and the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors and all that, we'll be discussing more of that this offseason. Uh, those 12 teams, by the way, that are unable to spend in excess of $300,000 on the signing bonus itself, the Dodgers, Braves, Cubs, White Sox, Reds, Astros, Royals, A's, Cardinals, Padres, Giants, and Nationals. So that means the international amateur bonus pool, the amount of money that you are allotted to give to international amateurs, those teams have already overspent that. Um, so they're not allowed to go in excess of uh, $300,000 for a signing bonus. One interesting note, though, you said he craves the competition. I think that's that's spot on. There was a, a column in the Los Angeles Times today, and again, we're recording this on Wednesday, in which one major league scout uh, talent evaluator said it really looked like he was just going through the motions in his most re- recent start for, uh, for the fighters um, and that it's a guy who's just so far and away better than everybody around him that at this point it looks like he needs a new test he needs a new challenge so keep an eye on that um Shohei Otani his team won the Japan series last year so uh the potential that you could see him play for a little while longer with a a talented team with the Nippon Ham Fighters uh and I hate to let all of you know this but they are not the Ham Fighters that's not the nickname I always thought the nickname was maybe just like the logo was fighting pigs or something like that they are the fighters Nippon Ham is the sponsor it's a big bummer it's a big bummer So, you know, just you one like a comma in there right. or something like that. Or like a, you know, a colon, like, it, you know, Batman versus Superman colon. A slash. Dawn of Justice. Yeah. The nip on ham slash fighters. Yeah, exactly. Right. Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. They should add some ham fighters into that movie. That would have made it made it a lot better. It's coming out in a little while. You can't rule it out. So that'll do it for three strikes this week. We did have one foul ball topic as well, Sam. Yeah, we might as well just... We're in the writing business. We're in the prognosticating business, I guess, of sorts. We might as well give a AAA national championship prediction. Yeah. Because by the time you all will hear us uh, next week, that that game will already have happened. It's happening uh, September 19th in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. Of course, the Rail Riders are are still alive in the IL playoffs. They're playing in the Governor's Cup uh, championship series right now against Durham. Uh, It's Memphis and El Paso on the other side. Um, so to make us look either very smart or very stupid, who do you think is going to play in that game and who do you think would win it? You know, um, I'm going to go with Durham and uh, Memphis. Okay. Oh, are you going to do the same? So we're in agreement. This is now the official. So the official stands of the show before the show podcast is a Durham-Memphis AAA National Championship. So congratulations okay. to Wilkes Barre and El Paso. That's all that means. Exactly. Um, no, I just, man, I don't, I don't bet against Tyler O'Neill in the postseason. Uh, again, Tyler O'Neill, a terrific start of the postseason last year. Southern League MVP rakes his way, just crushed his way uh, through the Southern League playoffs on the way to a title for Jackson this year. Um, a good performance as well for Memphis. So uh, the other, the thing that does throw a wild card into it for the PCL, Hunter Renfro has been ridiculous right, uh, for yeah. El Paso since he's he got there. He's a major leaguer playing right. in AAA. He's a ringer right now on that team. Yeah. Um, so there's a chance that he's the guy who goes in and takes over in the PCL. But my money would be on those two. Um, Durham's already got the edge. They got to win in game one in the finals on the IL side. Um, but, yeah, so we're both taking Durham and Memphis. So, yeah, congratulations to Scram Wilkes-Barre and El Paso right, and on your well league out, titles. Last year, the AAA National Championship game was El Paso and Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. Uh, Scranton-Wilkes-Barre winning 3-1 over the Chihuahuas in that game. They have a chance to play at home this year, which would be an, a whole lot of fun. I that doesn't happen very often. I don't think that – no, I think it's like a Super Bowl situation. Yeah, like a, right. I yeah, I don't know if anybody's done that. We'll played enough. that. Yeah, if the Rail Riders actually pull it off, you can guarantee that that will be a storyline. Um, but I will be there. Kelsey Hennigan will be there. A couple of our editors will be there. It's going to be a mill blowout uh, next week for that AAA National Championship game. We're, try to get a couple of podcast interviews, at least one for that as well. Um, maybe bring you the reaction from whichever locker room has the most champagne popping after the game. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. And look forward to us either being right or wrong. Either half right, 
half wrong, fully right, all wrong. Like yeah, the breakdown of the, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't ever count on being right. So <laughs> you know, that's that's where I go with my confidence. Uh, so that'll do it for three strikes for this week's edition of the show. Before the show coming up, we will head to the Minnesota Twins organization and the number two prospect in that system, Nick Gordon, who joins us from Florida. His season is wrapped up with a co-championship in the Southern League. We'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more. Nick Gordon joins the show next. With the minor league offseason upon us for some guys, uh, we are going to head to a, now presumably a graduate of the Southern League in 2017, and that is the second-ranked prospect in the Minnesota Twins organization, Nick Gordon, who joins the show for actually the second time. We had Nick on uh, in the Arizona Fall League last year for just a brief conversation. Nick, welcome back, a, a return of sorts. How was the how was the end of the season for you? Uh, it was great. It was wonderful. You know, we uh, got to finish it with a bang there at the end, you know, Definitely some of the most exciting baseball I've ever been a part of. And it, was a, it was a fun year. Well, let's talk about the uh, the end of the year for you guys because the the playoff landscape across minor league baseball was thrown into such disarray with all of the storms with Hurricane Harvey and with Hurricane Irma. Um, and the Southern League, like several leagues, was forced to um, have to declare co-champions and cancel the championship series. So you guys with the Double A Chattanooga Lookouts um, come through, you get a co-championship, uh, but the the season ends in kind of a weird way. You end up sharing the title with Pensacola. So you celebrate, but it's, you know, you kind of end on a, a strange note. What was it like for you guys? Obviously it's, it's still a massive accomplishment, but you don't get to have that final step. What was that, that last chapter like for you guys? Uh, you know, we definitely, you know, uh, would have looked forward to playing against Pensacola there, you know, just to uh, kind of get those games in, but definitely, you know, everybody's well being and safety was, Definitely the first thing. So for us, you know, we kind of knew that it was some bad weather coming through. And, you know, we knew we all kind of have families and parts of Florida and things like that. So I think for the most part, everybody just wanted everyone to be safe. So, And just take us through that last game. Um, you know, it, went, it ended in such dramatic fashion. Jonathan Rodriguez hits a two-run walk-off home run for you guys to end it. Usually when guys win, game, you know, win the last game of the year, everybody's going crazy. Champagne's flowing, popping, all that kind of stuff. But to end it on that note, um, you know, what was it like celebrating with the guys afterwards and what were the emotions like in that moment? You know, just in the time that it happened, you know, it just kind of all seems surreal. Like, I kind of think we all were just, did that really just happen? Like, we all just kept saying, yeah, it really just happened. You know, and it, it was a wonderful game. It was a wonderful series the whole time. You know, the, the Biscuits were a great team. You know, we knew always playing them, it was always going to be good games, close games, so... You know, for it to end that way, you know, that was crazy. That was, that was one of the, the, the coolest things I've seen in, you know, uh, all of my life playing baseball. So, you know, after that, we kind of just went to the clubhouse, all just kind of enjoyed it. You know, we jumped around, yeah, played some music, you know, and just gave a bunch of hugs and stuff like that, so. Nick, for you guys um, as a team, I mean, you win back-to-back titles in the first and second halves, and oftentimes that can be one of the most difficult things about a minor league season. Getting into the playoffs and winning a title obviously is difficult, but to sustain success over the course of two halves with player transactions and all that kind of stuff so often is even more difficult. And not only that, but you improve your record by seven games from the first half to the second half. So for you to be a part of uh, a team that wire-to-wire was so good and be one of the guys who's a focal point there. What was that responsibility like for you, being somebody who was there all year, being a chance to be a part of this, and being around that atmosphere of a team that ends up 91 wins on the year, 15 games better than anybody else in the Southern League in the overall standings this year? Uh, honestly, you know, it was, it, was, it was fun. I could say every single day we came in and we had fun. You know, the group of guys that we had, regardless if we got new guys or, or we had guys come up or down, you know, it's like they fit right into the team. Our chemistry was unbelievable, and we would we can come to the clubhouse all day, sit at the clubhouse, you know, and be around the same guys every single day. And it was fun every single time we came to the clubhouse, you know, and just to see everybody the way they got after their work when we got on the field. You know, everybody was willing to help everyone, you know. And there's been quite a few times where I'd be throwing the guys like Jay Rod or throwing the Wilkins, you know, across the bases and, and stuff like that, and they can come over to me and be like. You know, I see this or I see that. You know, it just kind of everybody was there to willing to help everybody get better. You know, and it was definitely fun, man. It was it was it was great to be around those guys. Our manager, Jake. You know, he was a great a great manager, always there with us to help us. 
and now a lot of hitting coaches and pitching coaches, you know, it was just, it was a great year for us. And uh, one thing that's always interested me about your career so far is you, you, when you make a team, you are there with that team for the season. You know, you were with Elizabethan for all of 2014, you were with Cedar Rapids for all of 2015, Fort Myers all last year, Chattanooga all this year. Um, you know, what is, what is that consistency like, you know, when you are starting with a team in April, finishing them when, in September? And do you feel like your role changes about halfway through the year? Tyler was talking about new guys come up, new guys join, rosters kind of flip. You start the year as, you know, the rookie on the team, and by the middle of the season you kind of know the parks, you know the area, you know the teams, all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you feel like your role changes over that second half when you are a guy who's there beginning to end? Uh, you know, but – I think it changes just kind of with the team. You know, uh, for me it was, you know, noticing that when we get new guys in who do different things, you know, the team needs different things in that in that uh, time or that situation. So, for me, I would say, you know, it's always definitely trying to be a leader, trying to get the things done that we need to get done, you know, working hard and, and stuff to that sort. So, I would say that always stays the same for me. But the second half of the season, you know, we just kind of – we adjusted. You know, everybody came up with key hits and – big hits in big situations. And I think really that's, that's what it was for us is all together is when we kind of took the load off each other's back and, and we all, we fought through it together no matter who it was. So. Last year when we talked in the AFL, um, Nick, the, one of the topics is, you know, you get to the end of a long season last year, a fantastic year, all-star season in the Florida state league. Then you go to the AFL and it kind of shortens up your timetable coming into a new year. But one of the topics that we discussed last year was the impact of your dad, the former big leaguer, Tom Gordon, your brother D on your, your play as a young minor leaguer. Now somebody who's graduated to the bigger levels, the upper levels, of the minors, you had that experience in the AFL last year, which is such a stepping stone and such a crossover for so many guys between the lower levels and the upper levels. What did that do to prepare you for 2017 going against a lot of guys you would see in double A that you'd see in triple A when you're still a young dude going into the, the AFL last year? Tell us about that experience and how it played into your preparation for this year. Uh, honestly, I would say confidence, a lot of confidence came out of that, you know, to be able to go to Arizona and play against, you know, definitely the best and to, to see yourself do things, you know, that, that, that you do, and, and that you work so hard on, you know, to, to get better at and to see it actually happen, you know, definitely it gives you that confidence and it, it gives you that, that feel like you know you know that you definitely belong and, and know that you definitely can play with, with anybody, you know. And, and I, I feel for me, you know, that was definitely a big step is being confident. That's, that's definitely a part of the battle. Even when you're going into the box on the other side of the ball defensively, however it is, I feel that that was one of the biggest things for me, helping me going into the 2017 season, you know, and just – Seeing double A is the same thing. You know, definitely, you know, you get as you get older and you uh, go up through the ladder, you're going to see guys who are a lot better, you know, arms who are a lot better, guys who can control their pitch. I mean, so. And, um, well, let, let's talk a little bit more than just confidence, you know, kind of looking at the way your, your season went. You hit nine home runs this year. That was a career high. Um, beating out your previous career high, which is only three last year, I'm sure getting out of Florida State League certainly helped that. Um, but, you know, just physically, uh, from a you know, maturing standpoint, you know, how do you feel like you've grown from, you know, what you were beginning at Cedar Rapids, Elizabeth, into what you are now? You know, obviously you had the tools, you know, to be taken fifth overall back in 2014, but uh, it's starting to turn into even better offensive performance. What do you think has kind of gone into that? Uh, definitely work. You know, I would just say my dad definitely, you know, the guy who always – you know, push me and, and it would say things like, you, I, I, I know that you're a great hitter. I know that you can hit even when I was times when I was struggling, you know, so it's for me, I would feel just definitely getting reps in, you know, just the more you do it, the better you get at it, you know, and I've always known that I, I could drive balls good into the gap, but it was about staying consistent with it, you know, and then I think just working on that and working on doing the right things right instead of, you know, doing bad habits that feel good. Nick, there is so much discussion these days in the uh, the importance of versatility at the major league level. Everybody wants their Ben Zobris. Everybody wants these guys who can play a million different positions and be able to be thrown into the lineup at different spots. And right now in the Twins organization, there is a, a lot of depth at the shortstop position. So this year you got a bunch of experience over at second base. Um, take us through 
you know, the, that position change obviously isn't quite as drastic as some, but to be on the other side of the infield, there's a whole lot of different footwork. There's different work around the bag on double play balls, all that kind of stuff. What was that transition like? Not a, a spot that you're unfamiliar with, but how did that play out as the season went along this year? Uh, you know, it was good. Definitely uh, playing shortstop and second base, you have to be athletic. I mean, that, those are both athletic positions. So, you know, I think it's more of just trusting yourself when you're playing both of them, you know, definitely the footwork is different. You don't have to, you know, uh, come through as many balls as you would at shortstop, but definitely just using your athleticism at both, I feel, you know, is, is definitely going to make me be my best at either one of those positions. So, and, and one thing, you know, Tyler brought that up, and I, want, I wanted to ask about that as well. It didn't seem like you played any second after May. Um, you know, was that something they talked about in the spring and then decided they were going to take you off it? I mean, what were those conversations like in terms of making you a full-time shortstop again, uh, especially over that second half? Uh, we kind of just talked about, you know, that I would get some time at both of those positions, you know, and just to make sure I work at both of them. No, it wasn't really – I didn't get a time frame or anything like that. So, I, it's, you know, I, definitely the Twins know what they want. They know what they need. And, you know, whenever they see something, you know – I'm, I'm definitely willing to try, willing to do my best at everything. So, you know, it was just kind of playing there with Vioma, who I actually enjoy a lot playing playing with, you know, playing up the middle with. I learned a lot from that guy. So, I mean, it was just, I guess, just kind of getting me work at both of them and then, Nick, one of the things um, that stands out a little bit this year is the the second half, your offense, offensive numbers dipped some, which compared to the first couple of years of your career, offensive numbers really jumped in the second half. Um, and obviously that's going to be the track of a lot of guys climbing is at some points you're going to find that, you know, when when leagues adjust to you or you get a little worn down over the course of a season, the second halves can be, can be long. But um, to finish with a, a good flourish when you guys are able to win a co-championship and all that, how do you view the second half from a personal perspective and and what does that teach you going forward into you know whether it's Rochester next year or Minnesota in short order on how to progress as the season goes along to stay on a, a consistent track uh definitely just stand stand healthy you know and uh I went through some times where I had to make some adjustments this year definitely you know and, that, and that's stuff that you live for that's what you love you know and uh the game is about adjustment so you know something like that could happen this year but next year it could be totally opposite and be the other way you know so it's it's definitely just about making adjustments, you know, and always staying one step ahead, you know, and definitely uh, going through my little dips at the second half this year, it taught me that. It taught me that even more, you know. I knew that, but it definitely taught me, you know, how to make adjustments on, on certain things and, and what type of adjustments to make, you know, and I just feel like, you know, it was definitely a learning curve for me. And what do you feel like was an adjustment that you had to make over that second half to kind of carry you through uh, the last couple of months? Definitely would be not doing as more, not or not doing more, you know, not doing as much. Definitely at the plate, you know, days that you don't feel good, you don't have to do more. You know, less is definitely more, and it's all about keeping it simple. And uh, I, I don't know if you know this; it's not usually a stat that's generally out there. But um, Twins affiliates, you know, everybody, every team that was a Twin affiliate this year collectively led minor league baseball with a 5.92 winning percentage. Uh, you know, you guys obviously contributed a lot to that. Fort Myers helped Rochester all the way down the line. Um, but how do you feel like, or do you feel like the organization has changed any? I mean, how have you seen the organization as as a whole grow in your four seasons with the Twins? Uh, we get better every year. Definitely, you know, uh, coaches and, and, and players, we all get closer. You know, the more time we spend with each other, the closer we get. You know, the bond gets bigger. And uh, I can definitely say, you know, we got a bunch of guys who go out and give it all, you know, no matter if it's coaches or players. And uh, that that's something that you always want to see. Guys who can go out, you know, and leave it all on the field and everything that they do, you know, is, uh, that, that is when, you know, we can tell that we're growing and then we're getting better, you know, and, and that's definitely, that's what you want. It's, it's all about the process, so. All right, Nick, we'll get you out of here on this. We always like to, to wrap up with things that are non-baseball related but are obviously important to guys. And one of those to you is writing music. And I remember back in July, uh, one of the tweets that, that kind of blew up a little bit on minor league baseball Twitter was you said on July 29th, quote, if I wanted, I could drop the hottest mixtape of 2017. And then later on you said that you could be at the VMAs if you wanted. You said sometimes when you can't sleep, you write music, which is pretty awesome. What, is, what does music mean to you? I mean, guys so badly need something something 
that isn't baseball because you're living it, you're breathing it, you wake up, it's all you do all day, every day. Um, for that to be, you know, your outlet, what does music mean to you and how does it get you through the, the grind of a baseball season? Uh, you know, actually, I, I write a lot of music and I listen to a lot of music. And uh, a couple of my closest friends, you know, one of them a producer and, and one of them really enjoys writing music as well. You know, and it's just something that we've always kind of been close to as I grew up. You know, and definitely playing baseball, long bus rides and, and stuff like that, nights when you can't sleep. You know, definitely that's something that I enjoy doing. I just, I don't know, I, I like to put words together, you know, and, and like to hear it on beats and stuff like that. It's just something that I enjoy doing. It's a nice hobby. I mean, it's the off season. You could probably make the mixtape now. You could sit, there's still time in 2017. <laughs> you could do it now. <laughs> I'm saying I could. I, I could. I really believe it. Too. <laughs> That's awesome. Nick is on Twitter. Nick Gordon is at Flash G the third. And uh, Nick, it's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you, man. And congratulations on a, a good year for you and a good year for the lookouts. And uh, we'll be seeing you in, in Rochester or wherever in 2018, man. Best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll be buying the mixtape. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. It sounds good. We're going to pull back the uh, the production curtain and admit to you that though this is the third segment of this week's episode, it is the first one that we are recording. So very excited <laughs> to be joined by not only Sam Dykstra, but one Benjamin Hill, the man to my literal right today. Hey, Ben. Hey, you're to my literal left, Tyler. And I think that's the case in, in, in all situations. Yeah, that's probably true. You seem to be pretty liberal, I mean, based on uh, some of your tweets. I don't know, man. I've never, I, I always stick to sports. All right, let's stick to sports. Absolutely. <laughs> How did we get off track so quickly? I have no idea. It tends to happen to us. Stick to sports. Okay, we'll do it. Um, well, let's start by sticking to sports, by sticking to one sport in particular, um, and that is uh, the world of minor league baseball. We got some news in the affiliation shuffle pretty early. Um, earlier this month, several days ago, the uh, Houston Astros, it became known, will be heading out of Greenville. That's Greenville with an extra E in the middle in the Appalachian League, not to be confused with Greenville in the South Atlantic League, which is a Boston Red Sox affiliate um, but the Astros will be leaving the rookie level Appy League looks as though the Greenville team will have a new parent club as of next year what do you know about this situation well I don't know I don't have any inside information on this you know some things I'm a real insider this one uh, not so much um, but it is an interesting uh, scenario uh, there's 10 teams in the Appalachian League and the Appalachian League is different from all other leagues in that all 10 teams in this rookie level circuit are owned by the parent club so PDCs, uh, uh, parent uh, player development contracts, don't come into play. Uh, affiliation agreements don't come into play. It's basically the teams own the clubs, and they want them their that team in the Appalachian League, and that's just how it works. So we we're, we just finished a uh, odd number year where normally we don't see any affiliation changes or anything of this nature, but uh, it's different in the Appy League, and uh, the Astros decide they want to go in a different direction, maybe consolidate their uh, rookie teams more uh, complex. Uh, level teams and then start uh, what I call real minor league baseball in class A short season with uh, the Tri-City Valley Cats and uh, that leaves Greenville uh, currently without a team and um, that's a little disconcerting because you always want to see circuits like the uh, Appy League thrive or at least I do uh, these real throwback environments and uh, it already seems a little bit of an anomaly to have teams in some of these Appy League markets so it's always a little concerning when something like this happens and a team uh, pulls out and you don't have to go back too far through the annals of time to find a situation similar to this in that uh, you may recall after the 2006 season, the Pulaski Blue Jays, the, the Blue Jays organization decided to do the same thing that has happened here in Greenville. Uh, they moved their team out of the Appy League and then in the Appy League in that case did not find a replacement. And 2007 was a nine-team league, which obviously when you think about it brings a lot of problems lot of in that uh, you know there was – you know, an off day for every club every day, except not really. They would do these unorthodox double headers where teams would play two games um, in different ballparks in some cases, um, and you can do that in the Appy League game in the Appy League because uh, you know there's such close proximity for a lot. I of never knew about this. This is fascinating. Yeah, that was 2007. Um, so that was a rough uh, rough time. But then um, the Mariners came into Pulaski after that. And uh, then after the Mariners left, um, you know, there was a ton of upgrades to Calfee Stadium, Calfee Park, where uh, uh, the Pulaski team, and now that's one of the premier environments in the Appy League. So they got through it. Uh, a great thing that Greenville has going for it is that that is uh, amenity-wise. Um, what is the name of the ballpark? I went there last year. It's um, 
Pioneer Park. Thank you, Pioneer Park. Um, it's on the comp- on the campus of Tusculum College. It is um, by Appy League standards like tops, I think, in terms of actually uh, amenities. Uh, Calfee and Pulaski would be the only one comparable to it. So, uh, you know, I was talking to Sam about this earlier. There are some Appalachian League ballparks where if a team pulled out, you'd think like, well, who would probably go to there? Like if that happened in Princeton with no no, no disrespect to Princeton, it'd be tough to think maybe of a team that wanted to swoop in and, and play in uh, Princeton, West Virginia. But Greenville is a really great environment uh, for Appalachian League baseball, especially from the player development side. It's the newest park in the league. And uh, it's really well, um, you know, situated for a team to play there. So I think with that going for it, hopefully Greenville can find a taker, keep the Appy League at 10 teams, and uh, move forward as if nothing really happened. One of the interesting things about this, too, is that uh, the Astros have indicated that they will not be replacing Greenville in their system. They'll go GCL, short season, Tri-City, and then they'll move up to their four full season teams, which is an interesting tack, too. Well, I was just going to ask, how exactly would a transaction like this work? you know, with a team just moving in. I mean, they, they take place in a – they would, you know, have to move a team into the stadium. It's not like tra- ownership would be transferred here, or would it? How exactly does that work? Um, I don't know the specifics of, of that situation. I think that's that's worth looking into. Um, but I, I assume it would have to happen with some level of negotiation between the major league club in question wanting to put a rookie team affiliate there and um, uh Greenville, the Tusculum College, and uh, you know that owns the Pioneer Park, and you know figuring out a, a specifics of that relationship. Um, but I don't know the ins and outs in the Appy League. It's a it's a strange league, as I said, with all the teams being owned by parent clubs, and uh, so therefore more of an ability for teams to pull out at will. Um, but I don't know the specific progress uh, process that would take place to get a team uh, there. And uh, you know it's interesting at the short season level. You know, when you're talking about Class A, Class A Advanced, Double A, AA, and Triple A, it's simple. There's 30 of each of those teams. You know, each major league organization has uh, one team at all five of those full season levels. In short season, it's different. There's, you know, current there's 18 teams between the Appy and the Pioneer League, the rookie level teams, and then there's uh, I don't know how many between the Northwest and um, New York Penn League, the Class A short season clubs. But there are some organizations that choose to have both a rookie level team and a class a short season team and some who only have one within those two levels of play um so it, it gets a little convoluted um with there's more variables down here at the lower levels especially when you consider uh the myriad you know gcl uh, and complex type leagues azl um that they, they can they can operate as well so uh, a lot of moving parts to this it's minor league baseball you don't have to say that. There's always moving parts. That is true. We also fell into quite a rabbit hole when it came to the Astros minor league affiliates, which is that we acknowledge that when they go from short season class A to full season class A, they go from Tri-City to Quad City, which is weird enough. But then we figured out that they go to Bowie's Creek and then to Corpus Christi. So they go from TC to QC to BC to CC. And they used to have Oklahoma City in that system. So they're trying to corner the market on all the multiple uh, word location designators that end in C. Um, anyway. Man, you're the first person to ever really <laughs> drop that uh, Drop that. It's word. the Illuminati, man. They're, they're trying to focus in on the Astros minor league ranks. Yeah. I mean, tell, you, tell your friends. If you just heard that factoid, courtesy of Tyler Mon. <laughs> or if you're on the subway or something, turn to the person to your left. Listen to what I just learned about the Astros yeah. system. This will not, you will not believe this. Yeah. I mean, really. They go from TC to QC to BC to CC, and they used to be an OKC. That's amazing. We exactly. should dedicate it. We should dedicate a whole episode to this. I agree. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I agree, and I don't sense any sarcasm in your delivery there. Um, let's move along. you got a good story up on the site right now, um, which is, I love this story. The state of North Carolina is kind of the, the cradle of minor league baseball, 11 teams in that state. And when you look at the history of North Carolina and minor league baseball, there are literally hundreds of teams that have gone through at various levels and leagues that haven't existed for a long, long time. Uh, but the North North Carolina Baseball History Museum is the uh, the topic for this story, which is on the site, and it's awesome. Go check it out. But tell us about this uh, this spot in Wilson, North Carolina, former home of the Wilson Tobbs in minor league baseball. Right. Well, I'm still cranking out the uh, on-the-road stories for MILB.com, but not for long. Obviously, the season's over. I have no more uh, stops on the agenda, but uh, this on the Baseball History Museum is from my last trip in the Carolinas in late August, and uh, it will be my penultimate on-the-road story this season. And uh, I had actually visited this stadium in 2011 on a similar road trip, and uh, that road trip involved uh, Kinston when it was the Kinston Indians, and so cut to 2017. That was the road trip where we first met, Ben. Really? Do you remember? 
Oh, in Myrtle Beach? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were really helpful. You helped Thanks, me buddy. set up a lot of interviews. Now we're best friends. No, absolutely. <laughs> and um, now you've uh, sidetracked me from like the, the, the very serious point <laughs> the I was trying to make. That's going on in Brent's right. right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, six years later, baseball's back in Kinston in form of the Down East Wood Ducks. I, was, uh, I flew into Raleigh-Durham. And uh, I was going to start the road trip in Kinston, the home of the Wood Ducks. And on the way, I made a return visit to Wilson, um, which is just about an hour outside of Kinston. And uh, the Wilson Tobbs, who are a, a summer collegiate uh, team, play in this old ballpark, um, Fleming Stadium. It was built in 1938, I believe. And uh, on the grounds of the stadium, in kind of a clubhouse-like structure down the third baseline, is the Baseball History Museum. It costs three bucks to get in, one dollar if you're young or one dollar if you're old. And... Um, it is just packed with memorabilia, and it's a, you know I call it a labor of love in the story, and it clearly is. Um, it's just something that a bunch of local fans in the area decide to do, pulling their resources, pulling their memorabilia. So you walk into the main room, and, uh, well, all seven North Carolina Hall of Famers have their own kind of locker-sized display case with memorabilia to their, you know, pertaining to their careers with some pretty interesting memorabilia. Um, and uh, then there's under glass cases, there are baseball cards and various ephemera related to all 400-plus North Carolina natives who have played in the major leagues. So uh, there's just like a lot to explore uh, just on the North Carolina uh, angle in terms of uh, native players. And then in the second room, it's just uh, ephemera. I love that word. There's a lot of <laughs> ephemera. And, and it really makes you realize just how much baseball history has happened in North Carolina. It's deep roots to the sport. And you see things like you know, a home run derby in the off season of like 1960 or 61 featuring Roger Maris. And they came through in, uh, and, and did that. And, uh, you know, Babe Ruth playing an exhibition game in 1914 in, in somewhere in North Carolina. Nashville, yeah. Think. And he hit a home run and there's a plaque commemorating his home run that says the ball went 135 yards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what home run was ever measured in, in yards? But what was you, the meters on this home yeah, run? He only had a yardstick around. Right, right. So you can you can see that. You know, Ted Williams coming through in 1956 on an exhibition game, you know, during an era where uh, teams, you know, while heading north would sort of make stops along the way and play exhibition games. So there's just a lot of uh, really cool stuff at this museum, the North Carolina Baseball Museum on the grounds of Fleming Stadium in Wilson, North Carolina. And uh, if you like road trips and baseball history, which you have a better likely, better chance of the average person, if you're even listening to this right now, you know, uh, North Carolina, A, is I think actually the best state period for minor league baseball yeah. uh, in terms of how condensed it is, how many different, there's four different leagues, four levels of play, 11 teams total. So a great road trip state. And if you're in the mind to uh, be road tripping through Carolina with a baseball context, then you can also hopefully see a Wilson Tobbs game, see a summer collegiate league game, just uh, stop by this museum, still be in close proximity to Zebulon where the Mudcats play, to Kinston where Downey's Wood Ducks play. And, uh, you know, I'm all about maximizing your North Carolina road trip uh, adventures, and that's what I'm here for. You really do get the full gamut of minor league baseball, not only in levels, but, you know, in ballparks as well. You talk about some of the old parks. Kinston's one of those. You go to the newest and biggest jewels on the minor league landscape, Charlotte and Durham and that type of stuff. North Carolina, you really, it's very true. It's if you were a minor league baseball nerd and you are a person who likes road trips that is the uh, the place to be well, the only thing i was going to ask because we got to run here real fast was just where does tobs come from did you ever get an answer on that uh, i did get an answer from that uh tobs t-o-b-s um is uh, short for tobacconists and uh, uh wilson is a tobacco town so they still have the name tobs referencing the tobacco industry and uh, i was told that the former or maybe still current mascot of the wilson tobs is a tobacco worm Huh. That sounds disgusting. Beauty is in the eye of the <laughs> beholder, Tyler. I think there it sounds beautiful. That's big, true. Big That's true. Tobacco. It could be, uh, it could be, you know, the lung that they did from last week tonight with John Oliver. Um, the story is up right now at milb.com. Uh, the Wilson Tobbs used to be a minor league team named the Wilson Tobbs. Now they are a, a collegiate summer league team, um, and calling that ballpark home in uh, in Wilson, North Carolina, Fleming Stadium. Check that story out at milb.com. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and you can find the blog Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com. Continuing to roll out the last stuff from the road trips in 2017, and looking forward to more as always, buddy. Thanks. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I am approaching uh, finishing my personal season with getting all this stuff out there. As I said, one more uh, MILB.com on the road feature story. Uh, I got a lot of lot more on the blog to come, but by uh, early October, it'll all be in the rearview mirror. And then it's, uh, as I was saying earlier, existential crisis time. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are good at that. The off season just. Uh, really brings it out of me. I, I love it. I look forward to it. It makes you sit and think way too much. That's our problem. 
yeah, you and I are very sensitive men who yeah. uh, overthink things all the time. So, you know, if you are an oversensitive man who overthinks things, uh, you know, has a lot of empathy, but maybe uh, gets in his own head too much and is self-critical, um, hit me up on Twitter. At <laughs> 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 then this is the show for you. Thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you. Again, you can find Nick Gordon on Twitter for the Minnesota Twins at Flash G the third. That's the number three, R-D, not T-H-I-R-D. Um, and a big thanks to Nick, and a big thanks to Benjamin Hill as well. Milb TV, uh, just watch everything, basically. Yeah, I, there's nothing really we can tell you that's what, here's a specific game to watch because every game has importance, and you know we, we don't know exactly who – who's going to be clinching when and that kind of thing. So if you're trying to, if you're split between games, just go with the one that looks like that is a, you know, series deciding game. Um, you know, whether it's a game four and a best of five, that type of situation, or if it is a game five and a best of five, um, no matter which game you choose, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, going into next Tuesday's AAA national championship game, there's going to be something to watch. Uh, and then on Tuesday, that's it. There will be no more milk TV. So enjoy it while it lasts. I guess. Yeah. What? That was ridiculous. Season number three of the show before the show podcast, nearly in the books. How did that happen? Like I mean, the pie, the season is never in the books because we're with you all off season, but, you know, <laughs> regular season it's number three. Worried, like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And it's just like we're the same thing. Oh, we're just going to be talking about other things. The we'll talk about the AML and yeah. literally anything else that goes on. Okay. And then the Don't worry, like, people. We're not leaving you. I promise. Uh, that'll do it for this week's. I always get so sad when the in-person episodes are over, Sam. I know. You get, you get more of them. We'll do more. We'll make it happen. Um, all right. Let's do it. <laughs> He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.